if someone has already decided that they are going to churn, it's too late to do anything. But if the marketing force knows that uh, churn is going to happen, then they have a window and a time, a time window where they can still act, so you can act on it, but you also get the insights. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Loomi Tech and sponsored by Hippo Insurance, Turing, Upwest Labs, and Hillel at Stanford. Data is eating the world by storm. Meet Zohar Bronfman, CEO and co-founder at Pecan. Zohar is an entrepreneur and CEO with a PhD in computational cognitive neuroscience and a PhD in history and philosophy of science. His passion is enabling businesses to drive tangible value with AI. His expertise include analytics, AI, deep learning, and computational psychology, as well as a strong background in data science, statistical data analysis, and business analytics. Zohar Bronfman, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? It's my pleasure, Michael. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I, I'm doing I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. Uh, we have to start off uh, with you know your two different uh, PhDs. How does it happen that you have both a PhD in computational cognitive neuroscience and a PhD in the history and philosophy of science? How, how does that even how does that even work? and what is history and philosophy of science? Yeah, so actually the two questions are related because uh, um, at, at least from my perspective, I think the two PhDs are quite complementary. So uh, I started learning okay. uh, in parallel both uh, philosophy and cognitive uh, uh, neuroscience. And I felt that both fields are very interesting and have a lot to uh, kind of um, say also about the other field. And then I felt I want to understand better this aspect and I want to understand better this aspect. I didn't want to let go any of those. So I did uh, those two PhDs in parallel. Uh, history and philosophy of sciences and ideas basically means that we ask ourselves what are the main um, constructs of thinking that are um, applied uh, uh, again and again, what changes, not, in the ne- not, not necessarily in the content of what people think at a certain point in time, but also in how they think, what are the methods they are doing, the structure, the form. It really helps to put things in perspective. People always think that now they have uh, like the uh, one version of the truth and that they know uh, specifically what is the uh, kind of uh, case. And if you you look at it in a more uh, historical perspective and a more skeptical perspective, Many times you uh, realize that uh, we know far little than what we think we know. Right. And so, how, did you actually go about doing these at the same time? These two, uh, these two, these two PhDs. Yep. At the same time, I split the week into wow. half. Half of the week I was working on that. The other, <laughs> on the other, uh, you know, it's it sounds maybe crazy, but it's actually not. I think uh, I think that uh, when you are within the kind of zone of researching and, uh, and, 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 and experimenting and testing and writing and so on, then adding additional layer is far easier than uh, uh, um, doing it separately. So it was actually quite an, an amazing kind right. of experience. 
That's amazing. And I'm, I'm really excited to understand how this all plays into what you're doing today. A year ago, you came out of stealth uh, with it, with your Series A, right, from, from Dell and from S Capital, talking about, you know, how do we provide businesses with, with a pretty much a drag and drop solution to gain predictive insights into things that they might not have the capacity to do it themselves, right? So a lot of, a lot of places now that have, you know, a specified a, you know, data science units to answer specific questions like why do our customers churn or something like that. Well, not everybody can afford that and not everybody has the expertise for that. And we know that we're, you know, McKinsey, I believe, said that we're going to have a shortage of something about half a million data scientists in 2025 or something crazy like that. So obviously there's a huge market yeah. here, but Zor, bring me up, you know, a little bit, you know, 30,000 feet in the air. What is the world of data-driven analysis look like? And why do we need a solution like Pecan for today's businesses? Yes, yeah, so I think I think uh, we can start from uh, from the top here. Um, we had revolutions with regards to data uh, during the several last mm -hmm. decades. So first companies started gathering data, then they started uh, kind of uh, uh, putting it in place, looking at it in a very simplistic way. Then we had the BI revolution where companies started like to dice the data, slice and dice the data and kind of get a better understanding of the right. business uh, dynamics that they have. BI became uh, both a necessity and a commodity. So today it's very hard right. to find an organization that's not running uh, BI. And um, we believe, but we are obviously not the only ones, that uh, the next evolution, the next step is going to be uh, becoming AI driven. It's not enough just to understand what happened. You have to run uh, more advanced forms of analysis, of analytics that gives you kind of a direction or a hint towards what is going to happen. And um, like you said, doing this, crossing this chasm, right? Moving from retrospective point of view to kind of a proactive or future-looking point of view is something that mm -hmm. uh, requires a lot of know-how, both know-how in terms of dealing with the data right. and know-how with uh, understanding how to relate those statistical methods into the business uh, necessities. Uh, what we found at Pekin and, and how, how the story uh, here uh, kind of unfolded is that, like you said, there are many data scientists out there, but the, the, the demand for data science, the demand for AI capabilities is 10 times larger. Right. And that's our point of departure. We understood that this gap will never close through additional data scientists. And what we decided right. to do, and I'll explain why in a minute, is to basically help the so-called data analysts, business analysts, we wanted to help them mm -hmm. cross this chasm. They wanted to help them moving from just doing BI into also doing AI. Uh, how did it happen? It's a very so nice just to clear story, the field zone. Yeah. Just right, right before that story. So give me that. Give me the you know the analysis. Of what is the difference between today? You know, you have people working in companies doing you know as analysts doing BI, and then you have data scientists. What is really you know the the core differences you see? It. What is the leap that that you're talking about from simply, you know, observing BI versus, you know, creating, doing predictive analysis using data science. Yeah. 
so the, the, there are two probably um, two different kind of aspects into moving from doing BI into AI. Uh, that traditionally you will have to go through a lot of training and a lot of kind of uh, a learning curve moving from data analytics to uh, machine learning and to data science. It will involve first and mm -hmm. foremost transitioning from SQL, which is the uh, basic tool of data analytics, from SQL to Python or R or other data science oriented languages. And the second thing, which right. is uh, maybe even more important, but uh, for sure under discussed, moving from a BI to an AI mindset in terms of how you look at the data. So when you bring forward data to a state where it's AI ready, it has to include many mm -hmm. components that you don't necessarily do when you run BI. Uh, there are many terms for that. Some call it feature engineering. Some call it AI structuring. Right. But it's uh, obviously very uh, challenging, difficult, and has to. You have to have a, a, a deep understanding of the know-how in predictive an analytics so that you can do this data work that is AI looking. Right. And so, what what is the actual challenge with this? Is it really just you know? The, is it the manpower? Is it that you know, companies have generally the same questions that they're asking. And, and so there's an opportunity here to, to actually go and consolidate this, you know, this pattern behavior that a lot of companies are doing. What, what is really, because we're seeing a crazy shift right now with businesses that are making these leaps. Are they asking the same questions? Are they employing the same technologies? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because, um, the, the, the answer, at least from our perspective, is that it's neither white nor black. It's um, not exactly the same. Every company has its own specific business dynamics, data dynamics, exact right. needs. So there is always a customized level uh, of uh, how you uh, mm. fit the uh, AI algorithms to their problem. On the other hand, there are many commonalities. So it's not like starting from scratch. Mm. This was actually one of our realizations that you can take one or two or several use cases that are very important, that are very close to the right. business value, and you can template them. You can help the users walk through these right. use cases uh, and then have enjoy the commonalities, but still have enough flexibility right. so that they can tailor it to their specific company's needs. Right. So you're talking about, you know, common things like churn or how do we get people in e-commerce to spend more time or, or to add more items to the cart. And a lot of these things that, you know, are on one hand, you know, we can generalize them in a sentence to pretty much every e-commerce, you know, website or company. At the same time, every e-commerce company will have their own specific case of how they want it done. And how does their data exactly. look and what is the pipeline that they're using, right? And so so that that is so the black and white are sort of like the questions, but then how do you you actually want to go and employ those questions with solutions? That's that's where you need the customization, right? Exactly. So what's actually happening today with PCAN and, and how do you actually go about you know introducing this to the market? Is it is it easy to explain to companies like, hey, listen, we have these tools to give you better predictive analysis we can transition you from BI to AI or are you getting some resistance for that? 
So I, I have to say, uh, um, quite surprisingly, obviously, there's always, uh, you know, healthy skepticism. And uh, when you bring forward something new, people always look at it and try to understand uh, whether it's real, um, how good it is, and so on and so forth. But I have to say, touch wood, uh, we are quite fortunate to be able to resonate with the uh, uh, with our uh, partners, prospects, and so on and so forth. I think there's a very healthy combination between use cases that people already understand they need, that people understand they want, and also the pain of not mm -hmm. having enough data science resources, which is very evident. This is th these right. are like things that we not, don't need to educate the market. And then we let the product talk right. for itself. I think the, the, um, the greatest um, kind of thing that we bring to the world is that data analysts have a sincere desire in moving into the next step. They are actively trying today through uh, courses, through uh, uh, academic degrees, through um, experience in the companies, working with friends. They are trying to find ways in how can I drive uh, more advanced analytics? How can I move from BI to AI? And in that regard, we have a very strong pull from the market uh, because the market is there. It's now a question of the technologies that will enable it. And this is what we are racing against, obviously. So do you see a future where you have where, where you have companies more employing these technologies that are enabling current workforce to to conduct more thorough you know analysis? Or do you see really investing more in, in data scientists? Or is it some sort of combination of both where on one hand, you do need your internal data scientists to solve the meaningful questions, but you can also use solutions like Pican AI to solve for the more, for, for the more common questions that others might, might also have that same use case. So I, I think absolutely option two, a, a data scientist will always be, I think, extremely important for organizations. And uh, mm -hmm. when you can, um, hire enough data scientists and when you can employ enough proficient data science expertise on core use cases that are very important for your business, it is probably the right thing to do. The thing is that it will ever just increase the fact that organizations have hundreds of questions, hundreds of avenues of advanced analytics that they need to explore and need to kind of solve, they will never have enough data science capabilities. And then it will be a question of resource allocation. Here I'm taking uh, this group of data scientists. Here I'm taking this group of data analysts. Sometimes I can cross uh, talk between them. That will become the natural um, evolution of how data science is being uh, done in organizations. For sure. Right. So one of the things that I enjoyed most was was studying the case studies that you showed on the website of, of how you're actually going about and with, you know, sometimes only a few hours of, of dedicated time, you're able to create some pretty impressive changes in the way that an organization communicates with its users or makes decision decisions on uh, how to upsell or how to show different different things to the users. Can you share with me a few of those case studies just to get a perspective of, of what is possible when you when you do make that leap from you know BI to AI, even with a software like Pecan AI? 
Sure. So I think you you gave uh, you gave kind of a, a a quick example earlier. Churn is an example that is very easy to follow. Uh, and like you said, in direct to consumer or in a, a, a digital commerce or a, a, a environments like that, we have a lot of customers, a lot of users that have a journey. This journey has all of the data uh, footprints stored. You have the data in your warehouse. You analyze it as a BI specialist. Um, you provide insights. Look, after uh, uh, 11 uh, sessions, the user decides uh, that uh, uh, he or she are not going to buy and they churn. But uh, if you start digesting the data through a data science oriented uh, platform, what you will be able to achieve is that even before things happen, you can actually see that, for example, this user is very likely to churn, uh, uh, um, for example, because of price. So you also get the kind of uh, underlying reason or factor. Uh, that contributed to the prediction. And the other user, even if they have the same likelihood to churn, are going to churn because of um, customer service, just as, 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 as an example. Right. So what you can get out of that are several layers of treatment. First of all, you can devise a very tailored, very personalized action right. to kind of preempt churn before it happens. Because if someone has already decided that they are going to churn, it's too late to do anything. But if the marketing force knows that uh, churn is going to happen, then they have a window and a time, a time window where they can still act, so you can act on it. But you also get the insights that are different from the BI insights because they are forward-looking. So the insights can guide you into what are the issues with the product, what is the issue with the user journey? What are the segments or the micro segments that quit for different reasons? And uh, eventually what we see in our uh, cases, in our real cases, are sometimes reduction of more than 20% in churn rates, which is, you know, it's strategic. This is like CEO stuff that I like seeing the slides and are saying, I don't believe it. We are so happy to have these cases. <laughs> And obviously, uh, uh, we are continuing to build those uh, 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 day after day. I think one of the most impressive things that I'm gathering from this, and and I've seen it firsthand, you know, in the you know in the industry, is that at the end we're talking about low, a lot of low hanging fruits, right? You have a lot of these, you, you know, you you we're we're at the point where companies are now beginning to understand that you know data collection is the beginning, uh, so you you can you and and you know peak. Uh, pretty much every company is using enough of these ready-made tools, the analytics tools, to be collecting the right data. And now they're really, like you're saying, the evolution is to take that and go from BI to AI. And it's pretty fascinating how, you know, you have some things that are just low-hanging fruits that, you know, by employing, you know, relatively, you know, linear, simple models, you can actually do some some really uh, great predictive analysis. And and like you mentioned at the end, it's all about, at the end, the personalization. It's not about, you know, a one-size-fits-all, but it's about, you know, how do you make it personalized? personalized flow and, and space for every customer so that you know as a company how to allocate your resources. If you have a thousand leads from today, how do you know which ones to call back? How do you know which ones to prioritize? How do you know which ones, you know, you're probably not going to get in the first place, so you should maybe not even, not even worry or maybe even advise them for trust not to move on with the purchase. So I think it's just 
it's just fascinating what you guys are doing. I love data-driven problems, and I think that you know companies that solve this for, on an industry-wide level uh, are are just fascinating. And, and so, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really, really great. Uh, Zohar, thank you. I have to ask you the most important question. Uh, but actually, I have I have two important questions. First mm-hmm. of all, how how does one walk? For so many kilometers in the day, how? <laughs> how is that possible? So yeah, I'll 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 say a word about that because uh, maybe it will help others try and do that as well. Uh, um, during the COVID area, because you know we had so much um, time spent sitting in front of the computer, I decided that every call, every session, every meeting that I can take walking, I'll do it walking. And uh, first of all, it's been an amazing decision. One of the best decisions I've ever, I ever made. I've been um, taking so many calls walking. It's an, a tremendous um, uh, help to me to be concentrated and kind of uh, uh, motivated, invigorated. So amazing. that's an amazing. And I've been uh, averaging quite a lot of miles, uh, 25 miles a day, roughly. So... Um, it's uh, very much recommended. Very much recommended. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, it, it kind of reminds me of the imitation game, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. A lot of the scenes of touring and uh, touring running. But you know, we'll leave that comparison for another time. Zal, <laughs> the most important question. Three words that you would use to describe yourself. Oh, three words to describe myself. Um, I think the... It's 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 a hard question to reduce one's uh, 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 entire being into three yeah. words. I would say um, determined, creative builder. I love it. Zong, Tudagaba, thank you very very much. Best Tudah. of luck with Thanks, I know that it's just the start of a long journey, but it's already making a huge impact. And thank you very one much. One step at a time. Stay safe and stay healthy. All the best.